the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Good afternoon and welcome to the show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions and life questions, and evidently some of your political questions as well, based on a response from yesterday's program. I'll get to that in a few moments. Uh, we'd love to have whatever's on your heart and mind. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. Uh, if you're outside of the local San Antonio area, you can call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, it's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can send them in using our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number one more time is 340-9585. It's Wednesday, so Paula will be here with me tomorrow, ladies. It's the day that we set aside especially for you. Uh, the edition will be um, tomorrow here at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. If you have any need for encouragement or any questions for Paula, that is your day. Uh, also tonight, of course, it's our Old Testament Bible study. Uh, one of the great chapters in all of our Bibles I get to do tonight, Isaiah chapter 53. I started it last week, but we're going to look at it in total uh, tonight. Isaiah chapter 53. We're going to behold Jesus together. So let's get to questions and comments. The first one I'm going to read is a little bit on the long side, um, but I'm reading it. I promise not to dodge any questions. This is from Carol from our email inbox. She says, your radio program of 924 featured a question that asked how Christians could vote for anyone but Trump. You responded that you're a conservative and that's why you voted for Trump but that others might not to want, want to vote for him because he is mean and does not demonstrate Christian values. Now, let me take this as I go through it. Uh, I didn't say he was mean. I said he was mean-spirited. There's a big difference. Uh, lots of people are mean, and certainly being mean or nice isn't part of, of, of why we would vote for somebody. But he's mean-spirited. That means he's unkind. And that's what I meant. And that should be very important for anybody with Christian values. Let me continue. Um, she says, I would like to remind you that the Democrat platform is radically pro-choice. They do not allow their candidates to be pro-life. Therefore, a vote for a Democrat, whether appearing nice or Christian, is a vote for murder of innocent babies. I sincerely think God cares more about this than whether Trump is a meanie. Again, I didn't say he was a meanie. I said he was mean-spirited. Trump is one of the most pro-life presidents we've ever had and strongly supports our religious liberties, which I feel sure will be taken away with Democratic leadership. 
Uh, the Obama administration made huge strides in a very short time to change the moral landscape of our country. I understand as a Christian and a pastor, you would like for our leaders to espouse and demonstrate Christian values personally and treat others kindly. I, too, wanted that in our president, which is why I initially supported Ben Carson, who epitomizes our values. However, it quickly became apparent in the 2016 campaign that Ben Carson was way too nice to win the election. The media ate him alive. President Trump won and has survived a daily assault on him personally and his presidency precisely because he's tough and fights back against the lies of the media and even his own party who want to maintain the status quo. One day we will face our Savior. And this is where Carol gets a little personal with me. One day we will face our Savior and give an account for how we responded to the murder of 66 million of God's children. Unfortunately, a vote for a Democrat is a vote for abortion. Please do not be complicit in this by announcing over the radio that it's okay to vote for any Democrat. Teachers are held to a higher standard of what they tell people, especially as it relates to an issue like abortion. Christians are no longer afforded the luxury of choice in this matter, as Democrats are now even embracing infanticide, killing babies after they are born. And then she warns me, God is not mocked. So much in here that I could go off on. And Carol, um, you missed completely the heart of my response. I think sometimes we don't know how to listen as Christians. And your response indicates that you didn't listen to what I was saying. Um, to say that I'm held to a higher standard is something that you don't need to remind me. Um, my whole life is spent publicly declaring Christianity, declaring Christ, and I am aware of the responsibility and the privilege and the honor of being chosen by the Lord to do this. I also want to say that I don't think anybody has been publicly more in opposition to abortion and the murder of, I always use the number 65 million babies uh, since 1973, uh, than I have. It is a grievous sin. It breaks the heart of God. Uh, And yet, as a believer in Christ, I think part of the backlash that we get from other people that call us hypocrites is that we pick and choose. It is clear that you are a one-issue voter. And I'm not sure that's godly. Um, I said yesterday that there are Democrats who are Christians, and if you don't believe that, then your judgmental spirit is on display for everyone to see. For us to say, because he is pro-life, and I'm grateful that he is, make no mistake, but that we're willing to overlook his other hypocrisies, his other sins, is not flattering not flattering of Christ, it's not flattering of Christianity. I did not say that it's okay to vote for another party. What people vote for is between them and the Lord. We are to vote our conscience. But too often we take the approach that we know everything, we've got it right, and we put ourselves in the place of judge, judging hearts of people. Now, having said this, I want to emphasize again, Carol, that I am wildly opposed, wildly opposed to abortion in any form. And I have used the platform the Lord has given me when appropriate. My message is about Jesus, but there are times when we talk about abortion the beauty of teaching the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We don't get to skip anything. But to judge somebody who doesn't vote your way as an unbeliever is to miss the whole point of the New Testament you believe in. I think and have said publicly on this air, certainly from behind my pulpit, that it is difficult for me to understand how any Christian could vote for a pro-abortion candidate. Difficult, but I would never cross the line you've crossed and say that anybody who did is not a believer. You see, there are honest Christians, people that love Jesus, who want to take care of the poor. There are Christians 
who view what's going on on our borders differently than you and I do. And certainly there are Christians who feel like God is being mocked by the support of so many evangelicals for a man who has a filthy mouth, is a serial adulterer. And that rings so hypocritical in the ears and the hearts of those that we're trying to win to Christ. And for anybody who claims to be a Christian, and President Trump has said before he is a believer, a a Christian, for anybody to behave the way he does continually while proclaiming Christ is somebody that Christians should turn away from and pray for in hopes of repentance. But again, Carol, if you are a one-issue voter, then all of that is going to go right over your head. Again, I know, understand my responsibility as a teacher. That responsibility does not include telling people how to vote. That responsibility is about telling people who Jesus is and encouraging them to be Christ-like. So that's why I took so much time with the question. I read it all. Didn't leave anything out. Please, please, please listen with the heart of the Lord. And as you judged me and are judging others who don't vote the way you do, please be careful. Do not judge lest ye be judged by God. Because you're right, God won't be mocked. Here is a question. from Caleb. He says, Pastor Ron, what do you think are the key factors that make some Christians more sold out than others? Boy, Caleb, um, there's only one key factor, and that's our closeness to Jesus, our intimacy with him. Uh, You know, I tell Jesus all the time, part of my prayer this morning, Lord, I loved you so much. But help me fall more in love with you than ever before today. Uh, and that's the thing, Caleb. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And I think there's just too many of us as professing Christians that feel like, okay, I made it into the club. I'm going to heaven. That's going to be enough. And Caleb, we should never think that every single day we need to be in love with Jesus. Every single day we need to walk with him and be filled with his presence. Christ in us, the hope of glory, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives need to be made manifest. And the truth is, as much as I love Jesus right now, if in fact I'm not with him tomorrow, I'm not going to be sold out. Think of all the Christians, Caleb, that are holding something back from the Lord. Lord says, don't do this. Or Lord says, I want you to do this. The Lord says, I I want you to be active in sharing your faith. And we don't do it because we're not comfortable. How can we be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit if we're holding those things back from the Lord? Our Bible says to flee from sexual immorality. If we don't do that, we're not sold out for the Lord. We're sold out for us, for the lust of our flesh. The Bible says, let no unwholesome talk come from your lips. And yet, so many of us, we don't even think about that. And we wonder why I'm not more goosebumpy, why I'm not more radical for Jesus. The only way, Caleb, that you and I can be sold out for Jesus to be with him every day in his presence is the fullness of joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So with him is where we need to be. And the truth is, if I'm not with Jesus, Caleb, if you're not with Jesus, and I mean that in a very literal sense every day, then your flesh is going to win the battle. So just being close to him and being obedient. Acts 5.32 says God gives the Holy Spirit. The context there is always in power to those who obey. And the man or the woman that's holding something back from him is not being obedient. And by definition, then, we're not in a position 
where we can be what we would call sold out for Jesus. So I hope that makes sense to you. 340-9585, we'd love your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Richard. He says, what role does New Testament elders play in the operation of the church? Um, Richard, it, it's a difficult question to answer only because of, I think, our general misunderstanding about what an elder is. You know, an elder in the New Testament is a pastor. Um, appoint elders in the churches, we're told. Uh, churches were small. They were home churches by and large. Uh, and they would be spread out over a city. And uh, each one of those, Paul says, needs to be um, um, staffed with a pastor. Appoint elders, but that's the New Testament role we call the role of a pastor. Um, what we've done in our Western church culture is we've taken elder and made it an office underneath the pastor. And in some cases, elders are, are the, the governing body of the church. And in some cases, uh, elders are, are men with authority over business affairs. And, and that's really not what the New Testament sets out. Uh, my elders, and I have a group of elders. I've got the uh, uh, same group of people I've had for a long time. My first two elders I've uh, been with me now for more than 22 and a half years, uh, and they're still elding here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, and they are counselors, they're advisors, they all teach Bible studies of one sort or another. Some teach children, others teach uh, junior high or high schoolers. Um, but, but an elder has to teach, so, so I make sure that I choose men who have the gift of teaching. Uh, they also help me conduct the business of the church. Uh, I don't make roles, uh, rules or, or decisions unilaterally. Um, um, uh, we're pastor-led, of course, but, but uh, they, they are, are men that I love and have grown to respect, and um, um, I, I depend on them. So they're very, very helpful in the administration of this church. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the final vote goes to the pastor. And um, that's the distinction that we, we've changed now between the first group. Um, I have five total pastors. We just, uh, last couple of years, two new ones have uh, been around. But, but both all of those men have been with me for a very, very long time. They've sort of earned their role by serving. Um, Richard, finally, the, the, the role every elder, and I would add pastor, needs to have is the, the role of a servant in the church. And I have been blessed by men, unbelievably blessed by men who are so faithful in their service to the Lord. And I thank God for them continually. So I hope that makes sense, Richard. Here is a question from Daryl. He says, on your show yesterday, you responded to a question about N.T. Wright. Why would having a differing view on penal substitutionary atonement disqualify someone from heaven and also with other non-essential doctrines. Daryl, um, I'll, I'll tell you where my struggle is. Now, N.T. Wright is, is a, a, an Episcopal pastor, uh, has a very vibrant internet uh, teaching ministry uh, and has gained a measure of fame on YouTube and stuff, but um, smart guy, great communicator, um, but in response to the question, is he a solid teacher? Uh, my answer was no, because he has a, a view on the, the penal substitutionary atonement uh, did not occur, that Jesus did not take the wrath of God upon himself so that we would be spared from that wrath of God. Uh, and that violates one of the verses I'm going to teach tonight in Isaiah chapter 53, the price of our peace or the punishment, King James says, the chastisement of our peace was placed upon him. That's penal substitutionary atonement. The wrath of God to, against sin had to be meted out. Otherwise, he wouldn't be just. Jesus took that wrath for us. Um, I'm not sure, and I'm, I struggle with this, Daryl. Uh, I'm not sure whether that is an essential of our faith. I know it has become unpopular. Nobody likes to think of God as a as a God of, of wrath and anger. Um, but but we don't get a, the choice to make God who we want him to be. 
And if God is not just, if God is not holy, if sin didn't have to be punished, then the God that we claim isn't really God at all. Now, again, the struggle I have is whether or not that rises to the level of an essential in the church. I could find people who say it does and people who say it does not. Um, But, boy, it is a very, very heavy thing to deny doctrinally and still claim to believe in Jesus Christ, the Jesus of the Bible. Now, obviously, with other non-essential doctrines, Daryl, there are things that people can believe and they're, they're saved, things they can choose not to believe and they're still saved, but that's what non-essential is. Um, uh, Calvinism is a doctrine, and I think most of the listeners to this program know I am on the other end of the spectrum from Calvinism. Um, and while I can say how wrong it is, it's not heresy. But it's not an essential doctrine. The essential doctrines deal with the person, the nature, and the work of Jesus Christ. So whether or not somebody believes in tongues and somebody else uh, doesn't believe in tongues, um, that's not essential. That's just a a, a doctrinal stance on practice. Um, But I I really struggle, and I don't have the answer. I I really don't have the answer, Daryl, about whether or not penal substitutionary atonement is an essential for having the right Jesus. And uh, I'm going to continue wrestling with it until I get some sort of peace um, about it. Uh, But let me just say, I think it is a critical doctrine. I I think to deny that Jesus took the wrath of God for us. uh, Otherwise, why would he say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, He who knew no sin became sin. And since sin has to be punished with the wrath of God, Jesus took the wrath of God. And so to have a, a view that penal substitutionary atonement doesn't fit our picture of who God is, um, I think is a really, really difficult step. So I, I hope I explain that a little bit. You know, Daryl, one of the things that we, um, we've done in our church culture uh, and and it, it's rising to the to the forefront again in in the issue of universalism, or universal reconciliation, whatever you want to call it. But but because we struggle as humans having a a, a picture of God who's going to make somebody suffer forever in eternal torment, and, and we can't justify that against what we know about His character or His or His personality or His nature. We've got to be careful because we don't get to remake God in our image. And I think with penal substitutionary atonement, universalism, and there are others, I think with those doctrines, when we start fiddling with those doctrines, what we're doing is we're trying to make Jesus more accommodating of the human condition. I think we're trying to make Jesus a little more palatable to unbelievers. I think most Christians, when asked by an unbeliever, and by the way, these are dishonest questions, I think most Christians, when asked by an unbeliever, uh, if you believe in a God who could send somebody to hell, I don't want any part of your God, I think that puts us on the defensive. And I don't think we need to be on the defensive at all. Jesus said that we were born condemned, John chapter 3. Condemned already when we come into this world, we're born with a sin nature, and as soon as we're able to express that sin nature, we're going to sin. That sin separates us from God. We're also told that we're made in the image of God. And that means in part these two things. It means that we're going to live somewhere forever. We're eternal beings. It also means we have the capacity, like God did, to choose. And we have to make that choice in this life where we're going to spend eternity. I think just these dishonest questions about how could a loving God send someone to hell miss the whole point of a just God. I think it's time for us to go back to Isaiah chapter 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. I think we've grown so comfortable with sin and expressions of sin that we have become reluctant at best and too afraid at worst to declare the holiness of God. And that's what we've got to remember. We've got to remember 
that he is holy and he can't cohabit with sin. That's why it's so important that Jesus took away our sin. And since Jesus is the only way that can happen, those are the things, Daryl, that I struggle with all the time because we've turned some essential things into non-essentials just to be more accommodating to the world that we live in. So I hope that answers your question. Uh, here is a question from Fred. Freddy, I'm sorry. Uh, the question says, Who should I pray to? God, Jesus, or the Holy Spirit? Freddy, I get this question fairly often, and my answer is yes. Pray to the Father, pray to Jesus, and pray to the Holy Spirit. All are God. They're not one-third God, one-third God, one-third God. They're all 100% God. The same God, exactly the same uh, character, the same attributes, just in different forms with different missions. So pray to the Father. Thank Him for Jesus. Jesus made a way to us to come to the Father. Pray to Jesus and thank Him for giving us the Holy Spirit who reveals Jesus to us and always testifies of him. Pray to them, thanking them. I always start my prayers in the morning. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. And I do that because all have an integral role in my day-to-day life with them. And so just pray. There's no competition. It's not like if you pray to God, Jesus has got his arms folded and say, well, why why is he talking to me? Um, There's no competition. They're all one. They're in perfect unity. There is no discord at all. It's impossible for that to be the case. So you pray to whoever you feel like praying to at the moment. When Jesus said, ask the Father in my name, he wasn't giving us a formula for prayer, Freddie. You know, we have a tendency, we put in Jesus' name at the end of our prayers, sort of like that stamps our prayer as official. What Jesus meant was, up to this point, you've never asked anything in my name because I haven't gone to the Father and made the way. And Jesus wants to make the way, because he has made the way, he wants us to come to him in prayer. Thank you, Freddie, I appreciate it very, very much. We have 30 minutes left in the program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'd love your live calls. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our program. Phones have been quiet. We love your calls and questions at 340-9585. Here is a question from Donald. How can I share the truth with my gay brother, without sacrificing my relationship with him. Donald, your relationship with him is his choice, not yours. Uh, you know, Jesus, when his brothers and his sisters and his mother came to get him because they thought he was crazy, they were going to come and take control, take charge. I'm sure James uh, sort of leading the pack. He was told that your your mother, you know, there's huge crowds around him. He's told you, your mother, your brothers, and your sisters are, are out there. They want to see you. They want to talk to you. And Jesus looked at the crowd. He said, who are my mother, my brother, and my sisters? And then he says, these who do the will of my Father in heaven. And Donald, we have to be willing. I know this can sound harsh to you. But we have to be willing to sacrifice earthly relationships, family relationships, in order to take a stand for Jesus, to stand with Jesus. Um, Tell your brother that it's not personal. You love him. He knows you do. But the way you're living separates you from God. Tell him, I can't imagine heaven without you. And if you go down this road, if you don't repent, then you're not going to be in heaven with me. 
tell them it's not you who makes the rules, it's God who makes the rules? And then pray for him. But you see, Donald, here's the problem. When we sort of compromise our witness because we don't want to hurt feelings or because we don't want to jeopardize the relationship, what we're really demonstrating is that our faith doesn't mean all that much to us. My relationship with Jesus Christ means more to me than my relationship with any other person in this world. Why would I compromise the truth in love because I don't want to risk a relationship with somebody that I love but certainly love less than Jesus? So again, I think we need to stop worrying about sacrificing our relationship with friends or family members. We have to tell the truth. And if then they choose to end your, the relationship with you, that's a choice they've made. It's going to be on them. But remember, at the end of the day, what we really want is for the people that we care about to be in heaven. And if we're not honest, if we don't tell them the truth, then we're demonstrating that we don't really think being in heaven is all that important. So, Donald, I hope that makes sense to you. I know... The world looks at us, family members look at us, talk about how unloving we are and how judgmental we are and how fundamentalist we are. Uh, I think we should wear that as a badge of honor. Here is an anonymous question. Is it okay if your church has unbelievers playing on the worship team? Uh, Anonymous, you know the answer to that. How can it be worship if it's an unbeliever who's doing it? Now, there are churches, and usually they're big churches with really great musical productions, and they hire wonderful, wonderfully gifted musicians, but knowing they're unbelievers, and they're more interested in putting out a product than they are the power of the Spirit behind the product. So the answer is no, it's never okay. And if I was going to a church where they permitted unbelievers to participate uh, in leading worship. Now, we've got unbelievers who stand up and sing the words. But when we put them on a stage, when we put them on a platform, what we're really doing is saying it's not necessary to be a born-again Christian to to lead worship in Jesus' church. That's just one of those things, Anonymous, that just can't ever be the case. So it's very, very, very important. Worship is an important time uh, in the church, um, usually in our church culture that uh, revolves around music. But to have somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus singing love songs to him is to me the height of hypocrisy. Here is a question from Ben. Pastor Ron, has God restored the position of apostle in these last days? Uh, no, Ben, he hasn't. Now, if you go to Ephesians chapter 2, it's very clear uh, that that the church was founded, beginning in, I think, verse 20, the church was founded uh, on a foundation laid by the apostles and the prophets, Jesus himself, the chief cornerstone. Um Ben, I always think of Jesus kind of standing in the corner with his arms out. He's got the apostles holding on one hand. He's got the prophets, the New Testament prophets on the other hand. And he's laid that foundation. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says no foundation, no other foundation can be laid except that which is already laid by Jesus Christ. And and it, it's in the Greek, it's that foundation has been past tense laid already. And the church is being built on that foundation in the current active tense, present tense, on that foundation. So what we've got is we've got apostles and prophets as foundational gifts to the church. That foundation's been laid and there are no more apostles or prophets. Now there's the gift of prophecy. I talked about that on the program yesterday. It's completely different and having the gift of prophecy does not make one a prophet. But in this matter of apostles, and I know there's a lot of men calling themselves apostles. I guess uh, reverend wasn't enough. I guess bishop wasn't enough. Um, um, so now now we graduate to, to apostle. Uh, how insecure do we have to be 
to go around telling people that we're God's mouthpiece, that we're apostles in these last days. So, Ben, apostles are done until we get to the Great Tribulation. Now, while they're not called apostles in the book of Revelation, we know that the 144,000 Jewish evangelists, those 144,000 witnesses, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, they're going to go out to the ends of the earth and they're going to be God's apostles in the last days. During the Great Tribulation, they will lead the greatest revival in the history of the world. It's an amazing, amazing time to even consider. God is going to preserve them. He's going to mark them. They will be invincible. Nobody can hurt them. Imagine having 144,000 Apostle Pauls running around. That's what it's going to be like in the very last days. But in these last days, the days in which we live, there are no more apostles. And if somebody tells you they're an apostle, uh, it's an unhealthy church. Run, run, run away. Jason wants to know, can a divorced man be a pastor? The answer is yes. Lots and lots of divorced men are pastors. Um, I think that uh, especially a man who was divorced before he was born again, you know, the blood of Jesus wipes away all sin. Uh, I think it doesn't matter what we did before. Once we come to Christ, um, the slate is new. And certainly, those men can be pastors. You know, Jason, if Paul hadn't prayed for me for 13 years, uh, I would have been a divorced man. And at some point, if God would have got hold of me and I'd have been uh, doing what I do now, uh, I would have no problem with the, the requirement of being a one man, woman. And that's what it really means when Paul's writing to Timothy and Titus. Uh, a, a one, I said a one man, woman. I mean a one woman, man. Um, uh, and so, yes, a divorced man can be a pastor. Let me address this, however. Um, I think a man who is a pastor, too, much is given, much is required. In the context there is much more is required. Uh, James says not many of you speak, should seek to be teachers because we stand to stricter judgment. And I think uh, no, no pastor has any right to stand in a pulpit when his marriage is falling apart or, or leading to divorce. Uh, I, I believe that, that a, a man who messes up his marriage or finds himself in a messed up marriage um, can be restored to the role of a pastor. But uh, for, for a man to be struggling in his marriage and proclaiming the word of God, is that's a time to sit down and take a rest for a while. Let God work it out. And remember, we're telling other people how to live their lives. So we've got to practice what we preach. And, and all of my pastors, uh, eight of them on staff, they all know that if their wives uh, or their marriages go sideways, they're going to be asked to take a step back for a time while we work through it as a family. So yes, a divorced man can be a pastor. On the other hand, uh, we should be more aware than anybody about the sanctity of marriage and how seriously God takes our wedding vows. Here's a question from Robert. He says, Peter says baptism saves you, so how can you not believe in baptismal salvation? Um, Robert, because Peter doesn't say baptism saves you. First Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 20 and 21, speaking of the saints uh, who, who uh, rejected Jesus. He says, those saints who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built, in it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And here's the key verse, verse 21 of 1 Peter chapter 3. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he doesn't say baptism saves you. And the word symbolizes is very important there because... This is a representative baptism. Further, he goes on to say that it's not the removal of dirt from the body. You know, we go into water, we, we go under the water, and the picture is we come out clean. 
But here's what Peter says, the pledge of a good conscience toward God, that's what saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the resurrection validates that we're saved. So Robert, this isn't a baptismal um, um, salvation passage of Scripture at all. Um, The water symbolizes baptism, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of good conscience toward God. Baptism is a response to what God has done. An obedient response. Now, I want to be clear because those of you who hold to baptismal regeneration uh, always say, well, you don't think it's important. I think it's very important. Being obedient to Jesus is of the utmost importance. I said earlier today in the program, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And if we withhold ourselves from baptism, then we're telling Jesus, I don't love you enough to be obedient. So we should all be baptized. It's a public declaration of our faith in Jesus Christ. I think it's also true, Robert, that we need to understand the Jewish perspective on baptism in the time these things were written. The whole idea is we're declaring our faith publicly. You remember the Ethiopian eunuch when Philip was miraculously brought alongside him and he was reading from the scroll of Isaiah. Philip looked at him and said, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch said, how can I, unless somebody explains it to me? He says, who's the prophet talking about, himself? Or is he talking about another? And right there, Philip began to explain to him about Jesus. And he did so, so thoroughly that when the caravan went by a body of water, could have been a puddle, it could have been a little tiny lake, could have been a riverbank, He said, there's some water there. What keeps me from being baptized? The answer is nothing. Why is it that they were excited to get baptized and we Christians 2,000 years later want to argue about whether it's necessary for salvation? Baptism is a response to being saved, an obedient response. And if we've really met Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in us, we should all want to be obedient. And in our obedience... In our obedience, we're pleasing the one who saved our souls. So, Robert, that's the answer to your question. Here's a really difficult question for me. It's from Lynn, and she wants to know, is medical marijuana okay for Christians? I have a lot of pain, and it helps. Lynn, my, my immediate answer is no. Uh, marijuana is never okay for Christians. Now, the minute I say that, I realize how cruel that sounds to somebody like you who's in pain. When Paul, the apostle, was in pain, he pleaded with the Lord three times. Second Corinthians chapter 12. He pleaded with the Lord three times for this pain to be taken away, and three times the Lord said no. And Jesus appeared to him and said, My grace is sufficient. And I think sometimes, Lynn, we don't really believe that God's grace is sufficient. Uh, I'm not a man who's unfamiliar with pain. But marijuana, medical or otherwise, makes us drunk, high. It messes with our mind. It gives Satan an opportunity to have an opening to, to, to harass us. I just don't think it's okay. I think too often in our culture we go to a doctor and convince him of the need. Now he can prescribe it. We can go get medical marijuana. I just don't think it's a good idea. I, 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 I just can't see anything constructive in it. I also want to remind you, you asked this question like it's bothering your conscience. You gave us a reason why you do it. So Romans 14.23 says, Anything not of faith is sin. So I think this is one of those things, Lynn, that we've got to really deal with. It's not okay to be high, period. 
It's not okay to be high. 340-9585. Let's go to Daniel on line one. Daniel, thanks for calling. You broke the monotony of my voice. You're on the air. <laughs> well, I was just, I was just uh, curious. The other day you were talking about how you went to school, you know, for to be a pastor. Um, how, how did you, was it expensive? And, you know, how did you, you know, I don't know how, I know every different school, they they all have different uh, prices, but, like, how long was your schooling, and, um, you know, how was it, you know, was it hard, or, you know, and I'll take your answer over the radio. Okay, thank you, Daniel, appreciate the interest. Uh, it was not hard. Uh, when I say it was not hard, uh, I was actually studying more uh, on my own before I went to Bible college, Daniel, than I actually had to study in Bible college. Um, I was going through a time my life was so profoundly changed. I wanted all of the answers. And when I went to Bible college, frankly, it was easier uh, than uh, than I than I expected it to be. Uh, I really I really believe that. Um, so so it wasn't that difficult. Um, I'm a good organizer of my time, and um, um, I watched the the young people. Mostly they were young. Uh, the people that were struggling were those who weren't quite so good with their time. So I think it's something that we have to be um, be good managers, good stewards of our time. Um, it, it also it was it was fairly expensive. Now I, for me it was a unique situation. God God was beginning from the from the very beginning of my walk with the Lord to show me that I could trust Him. And uh, Daniel, I don't know how familiar you are with my story, but I lost everything I had. I mean, I lost literally millions of dollars. I was um, um, very, very successful in business and lost it all gambling. Um, and uh, I, I was so desperate when I got saved uh, th- that I was running away from home when Jesus uh, apprehended me. So for me, anything was expensive at that point. Uh, Paul and I were actually homeless uh, because of my sin for for a time. Uh, and yet, where God guides, God provides. And... Um, uh, I worked. It wasn't it wasn't just me sitting around with my fingers crossed, hoping Jesus is going to drop a bunch of money on me. I worked. I saved up enough money for the first semester. Um, went to went to Bible college. When it came time to to re enroll for the second semester, um, I, I had no money. And I remember going to the uh, the uh, pastor who was overseeing the the, the Bible college. And I just said, "Look, I, I'm 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 working here. I'm, I was working on on campus, uh, but uh, I can't pay tuition, and so I, I I think I probably need to to leave Bible College. I don't want to take advantage of anybody." And he said, "Well, let me see what I can do about it." And and uh, he never got back to me. So a couple of weeks goes by, and I finally went to him and I said, "You know, you you've." You've never gotten back to me, and I feel guilty. I'm, I'm here. I'm eating your food. I'm learning, and I, I can't afford to pay the tuition. And he goes, "Oh, I'm sorry. I should have told you. That's been taken care of." And uh, as it turns out, there was a billionaire who loves Jesus, and he told this particular pastor, "If there's anybody that needs help, you just let me know, and keep my name out of it, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll pay their tuition." And, and, and that's how my tuition was paid for the rest of my time in Bible college. My initial program, Daniel, was two years. And uh, uh, they had a sort of a change uh, in midstream. They they decided it was too hard. Uh, and so they wanted to make it easier and spread the workload out. Uh, and so they gave us all the option to continue uh, on the, the course we were in or, or extend it longer. I was already in my 40s. And I didn't want to waste any more time. And then we immediately left of San Antonio to start the church. So it wasn't too hard uh, in that sense. Uh, but uh, um, and, and for me, God provided so it wasn't too expensive. Some of it can be very pricey. Um, I don't think you need to go to seminary or Bible college to be a pastor. Um, but um, if that's not going to be the case, then you need to be so diligent in your study. Uh, you and Jesus, the Holy Spirit, can and be, be giving you the direction that you want. So, Daniel, thanks for asking. Hope that answers your question. Here is 
last question for the day. Is it true? We're inside two minutes. Wow, it went fast. Here is a question from our mobile app from Mick. Did God change Saul's name to Paul as he did to Abram, to Abraham, or Jacob, to Israel? We don't read in Scripture that he did, only that Saul was also known as Paul. You know, Mick, we don't really know that. I I, uh, I don't know uh, the answer to the question, um, but it became, became clear, you know, uh, um, Paul means little one. And uh, I think Saul thought he was so huge and so righteous, uh, and he realized after meeting Jesus that he really was really small and, and relatively insignificant. Uh, and so it may have been something that he took upon himself, uh, or it may have been something that in one of his times with Jesus, Jesus said, this is who you used to be, but this is who you now are. But we really don't know for sure. Um, and, and to go beyond what the possibilities uh, possible circumstances are is to um, to to pretend to know something that nobody has any way of knowing. Good question. Paul means little one, and Paul was uh, indeed little in his own eyes after he met Jesus. Good question. It's Wednesday. I want to remind you tonight is our Old Testament Bible study in the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter fifty-three. One of the true highlights of our Bibles at 7 o'clock. You can watch it at calvaryessay.com. Paula will be live in studio with me tomorrow on the date day edition of the program. Uh, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back here tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.